Good morning, Frontline Church. Welcome you this morning. It's so awesome to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. A special word of welcome to all the parents and teachers of the children of Harvest Christian School. You're welcome here this morning. I truly hope that we have made you feel like you're part of the family, like you're right at home. And as Pastor Renel said, our heart is truly for the, the school to be seen as an extension of the church, one body working to one purpose for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the sake of King and Kingdom. Amen. Amen. So you're so welcome here this morning, and we're trusting that you will experience the love of the Father in this place. Amen. You may take your seats. Amen. It's good to be with you. So church, it's a privilege once again for me to share the Word of God with you today, this, this beautiful, life-changing Word. And I'm excited to share this Word with you today. And the title of my message is Salt and Light. It is Salt and Light, which may seem like a very basic title, but as we go through the Word, as we go through the Scripture this morning, you will see the significance and the depth of, the, of these words. Church, before we go there, I just really want to share with you where I believe that the Lord, what He's doing here at Frontline Church. I believe that God is preparing this body, this body of Christ, truly to become nation changers. I truly believe that. I believe that He is preparing us to become warriors that will stand on the front line, people that are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that the Lord is calling us to be people that change culture. People that are not content with just being fed all the time, but people who are willing to take this life-changing message that we hear Sunday after Sunday beyond the walls and the boundaries of this church. A people that are so transformed by the love of the Father that it's just a natural response for us to launch this truth into the rest of the world. That it would just be natural for us to, to restore lives and transform cities and nations. Can we receive that today? Amen. Amen. So I want to start off this morning where Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount when he preached the Beatitudes. Because when Jesus preached that, he was announcing the coming of a new kingdom. He was saying that the day that you've all been waiting for has finally arrived. There's a new kingdom that has come and when there's a new kingdom, that means there's a new king. There's a new way of thinking, there's a new set of values, there's a whole new way of living. Because in that sermon, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus lays out the rules and the values of the kingdom of God. And church, when Jesus preached this message, he was, he was just starting his message, his ministry. And he preached this message in the most unlikely of places. And he preached it to the most unlikely of people. He preached it in a place called Galilee, which the Bible refers to as Galilee of the Gentiles. And this area of Israel was frowned upon by the rest of the country. It was the borderlands, and so the people who lived in this part of Israel were seen by everybody else as being intermixed with the rest of the world. Their practice of their religion was not as pure as it might have been in other parts of the country, especially in, in Jerusalem and in the capital. They were looked at as people who didn't quite measure up to the religious standards of the day. And that's who Jesus is talking to when, when he preaches the sermon. He didn't make this announcement. He didn't preach the sermon in Jerusalem in the capital, in the place where the, the holiest people lived, in the place of where the purest part of the religion was, was being preached. 
And Jesus started his ministry not with these people, but with the most unlikely people. The vulnerable people. The misfits. The ones who were misunderstood. The ones whose history reflected a record of failure and compromise with the rest of the world. They were by no means the spiritual elite. They were in fact people who would never have seen themselves as, as greatest in the kingdom. If anything, they would have seen themselves as least in the kingdom. And it is to these people that, that Jesus brings the sermon. So let's pick it up in, in Matthew 5 from verses 3 to, to 12 and let's see what Jesus said. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus says to these people, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? Because we need to understand that so we can understand the rest of what Jesus is saying in his sermon. Because you see, church, Jesus' gospel was not just about getting yourself saved and then you're off to heaven. His gospel, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his message over and over again was about the kingdom of God. And he'd say the kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of God is like that, and he would give illustration after illustration. Right? So what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is not a spiritual, mystical concept of something that you'll only experience when you die. The kingdom of God is a present reality. It is to be lived and experienced right now by those who claim Christ to be the king and who have enthroned him on their hearts. The kingdom of God is made up of people who claim Jesus Christ to be the king. So the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus has been made king. Right? So, for instance, if Jesus is ruling in heaven, then obviously the kingdom of God is in heaven. But if Jesus is reigning on the earth, then the kingdom of God is on the earth. Or let me say it like this. If, if Jesus is ruling in your life, then the kingdom of God is in your life. Right? As Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. It is among you. If Jesus is king in your home, then the kingdom of God is in your home. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus has been made king, and we are kingdom people. Right now, you're kingdom people. Right now, you live with a new king, a new way of seeing things, and a new way of doing things. Look at what the Bible says here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. 
It says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. He says it's already done. It is an accomplished fact. We are already citizens of the kingdom of God. And you know, the sooner that we can see ourselves as kingdom people, the sooner that we will begin to live as kingdom people. Amen? Now, church, this kingdom, as Jesus has explained in the Beatitudes, does not belong to the self-righteous. It belongs to the people who are, are spiritually bankrupt and who know that apart from God, they're nothing. And that God owes them, owns them nothing or owes them nothing. It doesn't belong to the self-satisfied. Those who think that have, they have attained some kind of righteousness of their own. But it belongs to those who, who mourn their condition and, and that know apart from Christ, all is hopeless and they can do nothing. The kingdom of God does not belong to the self-sufficient, but it belongs to those who are fully surrendered and fully dependent on God. And church, the way of this kingdom, the way of our king is completely opposite to, to the, the religious systems that exist in our day. Because in every other religious system, you have, to, you have to strive, you have to work to attain perfection, to attain nirvana, to attain entrance into the kingdom. You have to work to achieve perfection and try to behave yourself well enough and long enough, and then maybe at some point in time you will have achieved entrance into heaven. But I'm pleased to report to you this morning that Jesus says, I give you the kingdom. You can't earn it. I just give it to you, right? And then he says, now let me show you how to live in it. And then by his grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins the transformation process to make us what we already are, kingdom people, right? And he teaches us what it means to, to live in the kingdom. And church, let me say this today. For Jesus, kingdom life is not the final destination of our mission. Kingdom life is the launch pad for our mission. For Jesus, the kingdom of God is not the finish line. It's the starting point from which we live and the way we interact with the rest of the world. Amen. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is, is gone, a new life has begun. He's talking to you. He's saying your new life is, is the starting point. Not your old life, your new life. And because of that, because of this, you are a citizen. You are a subject of the kingdom. And church, the subjects of the kingdom are not oppressed by the king. They reign with their king, they, they rule with their king, and they are called to represent their king. They are called to partner with the king for the purpose of changing the world. Church, the king himself has invited you and me to change the world. What a privilege, what an opportunity, what a responsibility, but, but what a privilege. And that's why we are called the body of Christ, because he does it in us and he does it through us. And church, God works through us, His people, through you and me, through people just like the ones that He preached to in Galilee. The broken, the hopeless, the misfits, the ones who didn't live up to everybody else's expectations. And He works through us to extend the influence of His kingdom into the world around us to bring more people under the authority and rulership of Christ. 
to live as kingdom people. So church, let's take ownership of this today. The king has invited you and me to change the world. Can we get excited about that? You see, the king hasn't called us to come and get fat off his word Sunday after Sunday. He has called us to transform the world. Now, how do we do that? How do you and I change the world? Well, in Jesus' very next words in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us the key in one easy lesson of how to change the world. Here's what he says. Matthew chapter 5 from verses 13 to 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And church, we have to think about this for a moment because to the audience that Jesus was speaking to, this was an astounding statement. Because you see that phrase, the light of the world, was, was not something new. It wasn't something that, that Jesus made up. It was actually a title that was given to the most respected rabbis of the day. In fact, there were two titles that were given to the most respected rabbis of the day. One was the light of the universe and the one was the light of the world. And so you see, this is a title that was reserved only for the most holy, for the perfect, for the flawless, the ones who always obeyed everything and, and didn't do anything wrong, or at least on the surface. They were the ones who were called the, the light of the world. Just the special, most meticulously trained people were, were given this title. But you know what? Jesus says, no, you don't get it. It says, you the broken ones. You the hopeless ones. You the ones that are just trying to figure this thing out right now. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of this world. And Jesus is saying, you are the ones that this kingdom belongs to. You. I'm talking to you. The, one, the, the sinner who has been transformed by the saving power and grace of Jesus Christ. I'm talking to you. Are there any sinners in this place who have been transformed by the saving power and grace of Jesus Christ? Yes. Amen. Then you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of this world. You see, church, not only does Jesus save sinners, He changes sinners. And then He calls sinners and He, and he empowers sinners. And He partners with sinners to accomplish His purposes and to fulfill His plans. He invites us to partner with Him to change the world. And you see, church, He didn't just save us so that we can sit in the, in the corner of a church and, and take a few not, uh, notes from time to time. He saved us and called us to serve with Him to extend the influence of His kingdom. And He does it through, it through us. He doesn't do it in spite of us. He does it through us if He's going to do it at all. What do I mean by that? He's either going to do it in this body or He's going to do it in another body. And God forbid He passes us by 
uh, and gives it to another body, or God forbid he passes us by and gives it to our next generation. We need to be ready. We need to be expectant. We need to equip ourselves for what God wants to do in this season. Now, church, why does Jesus use these two pictures of, of salt and light? What is it about salt and what is it about the light? Well, let's think about what salt does. For one thing, salt preserves. It preserves things. That's why we use salt to cure meat. Salt preserves. Salt also improves flavor. It enhances flavor. Salt purifies. Salt penetrates. Salt transforms. And salt makes people really thirsty. Right? Now what about the light? What does, what does light do? Well, light illuminates. It helps people see things that maybe they didn't see before in the dark. Light also provides warmth. And light helps people see what they're doing and it helps people see where they're going. And Jesus says, you're the salt. You're the preservative. You are the flavor enhancer of your culture. And he says, you are the light of the world, giving warmth and illumination and helping people find their way back home to the Father. So church, you may be asking, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and me if we are to be the salt of the earth and, and the light of this world? How are we supposed to live? Well, firstly, the Bible tells us that you salt the earth by your words. You salt the earth by the way you communicate. And it's not just about the words that we speak, it's also about the words that we write. Because it seems like these days we spend more time writing things and posting things on social media than we actually do speaking, right? On Facebook or Instagram or whatever your, your social media plat uh, platform is. And when we're on those platforms, there's just enough stuff there that is just so distasteful. But we are to be the salt of the earth with our words. We are to preserve. You see, the Lord wants us to preserve civility, morality, dignity and decency with the things that we say. He wants us to improve the conversation with words of grace. In fact, look at this passage because it's exactly what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So you salt the earth with your words. And church, we do this by speaking words of encouragement, not discouragement, not naysaying and skinnering. We speak words of encouragement. If someone you know is discouraged or they feel like they're giving up on life, maybe they're worried and anxious about something that's happening in their family, with their children, or in their business, you take the opportunity and speak words of encouragement. You salt the conversation with words of encouragement. In fact, there's some people in this church that I know that, that are very good at that. There's people like Mr. Sean Lawrence that as long as I've known him, he's spoken words of encouragement into my life. And what a difference that has made. We need to emulate that type of behavior. Speak words of encouragement. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25 says, Anxious fear brings depression. But a life-giving word of encouragement can do wonders to restore joy to the heart. You can also salt the earth with words of patience. 
Speak words of, of calmness into a situation. Diffuse situations. Don't, don't add fuel to the flame. Speak words of patience. You can also speak words of faith. If someone's faith is low, their faith has been, been shaken, continue to speak words of faith into their life. Church, you can also salt the earth by speaking the truth. Sometimes we need to hear the truth from a brother or a sister who lovingly corrects us to help us turn back onto the right path. Right? It's not always easy, but people to know that we are truthful in the way that we speak, especially non-believers. There can't be any hidden agendas. People need to be able to rely on what we say. Very important. And finally, you can salt the earth with words of hope. People, let's face it, people are desperate for hope. When you meet somebody who is in despair, when they've just given up all hope in life, speak words of, of hope into them. And probably the best way to do that is, is just to pray with them. But give them some hope. Church, a very good way to bring hope to people is, is by telling your story. Have you ever been in that situation where you're going through something tough in your life and a, and a brother or a sister comes and says to you, hey, let me tell you what God did when I went through that. Right? And it builds hope in you. You tell your story. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. I was filled with, with hatred and anger and God showed, God showed me and taught me how to love and to care for people. I was bound up in some kind of addiction and the Lord has set me free. Can I get a witness in this place? Amen. You know, church, very importantly, people can argue with your theology and they will. People have been arguing about theology for centuries. And people can argue with your logic, they can argue with your reasoning, right? But nobody can argue with the experience of your changed life. Amen. Nobody can do that. Nobody can dispute or, or disprove what, what is happening in your life. The change God has made in your life, church, is the most compelling piece of evidence for the case of Jesus Christ. It's your testimony. What has God done for you? What has Jesus done in your life? And how can you tell somebody about that story? Let's look at this verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But to do this with gentleness and respect. I like the way it says, do it with gentleness and respect. Not with rudeness, rudeness, not with judgment. Not getting in someone's face and sticking your, your finger of, of judgment at them, Right? Do it with gentleness and respect. And he says, always be ready to tell your story. We need to be ready to tell our story, church. And you may say, you know what, I'm shy to go and share my story with somebody else. I want to encourage you, start to practice it. Even if you're standing in front of a mirror, practice it. Or practice with a, a believing brother or a believing uh, sister. But tell your, tell your story, tell your testimony. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is where I was, and, and this is where I am right now. You just tell your story, and no one can argue with the testimony of your changed life. They will ask you why you have hope. 
But why would they ask you in the first place? How will they know that you have hope to begin with? Because of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 from verses 14 to 16. Let me read it again. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's ready to bring the children down. And church, the truth is, they'll know that you have hope, not because of the things that you say, but because of the way that you live. Not because of your words, but because of the actions of your life. They will see that you have hope, and then they will ask you, why do you have this kind of hope? So firstly, you salt the earth with your words, and secondly, you light the world by your deeds. You light the world by your deeds. That's what Jesus was saying in verse 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, church, it's not just enough to say that I believe. You have to live like you have faith. Come on. Because the truth is people don't care what you say until they know. Let me try it again. They don't care what you say, what you believe in, until they believe in what you're saying. Right? Does that make sense? The truth is they don't want to just hear you rambling off with your mouth. They want to see it put into action. And the problem is many times in the body of Christ, the, the hands and the feet have been amputated, the torso has been amputated, and all that's left is a, is a big head with a loud mouth. And the truth is people don't want to hear your loud mouth. They want to see your good deeds as you light up the world, and then they will praise your Father in heaven. And church, when they see that there's something different in your life, there's hope there. Then they're going to ask you for the hope, for the reason that you have this hope. So you're not, you must not only salt the, the world with words of grace, you must light the world with deeds of grace. Very important that those two go hand in hand. They have to work together. Look at this passage from James chapter 2, verse 14. Because he talks about this and he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters... If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can't such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and, and I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, you put your, your muscle where your mouth is. Not your money where your mouth is, your muscle where your mouth is. You don't just talk about it, you get out and do it. So church, we need to start asking ourselves questions like, where do we need to turn the lights on in our world? What kind of deeds will light up the world where you and I have influence? For the sake of time this morning, I'm going to close with this. It's about salting the earth with your words of grace and lighting the world 
through deeds of grace. Showing people how much we care so that they will then in turn know the reason for the hope that we have now. Church, we have to get this because if we get things out of order, we're going to miss something here today. You cannot dispel darkness with salt. If there is darkness in the world around you, just sitting around talking about it isn't going to do anything. We can't just sit in the corner and say, you know what, I'm going to hide over here with my friends and we'll just talk about how dark it is over there. You know, look at that darkness over there. It's, it's horrible, right? You can't get rid of darkness with salt. The only way you get rid of darkness is you turn on the light. You turn on the light. And when there's something that you can, you can do to let your light shine, just do it. Don't hesitate. You light your world through your deeds of grace. We have, to light, we have to let our light shine, that Jesus said, like a city on a hill for, for everybody to see it. Not so that they will think that we're wonderful or that we're fabulous, but so that they will see our good deeds and they will praise our Father in heaven. And then they will find their way back home to the Father. And you know, church, we cannot do this if we are, are hiding behind the, the walls of a church. Because stockpiled salt and hidden light is meaningless right the church is not a building the church is God's people and God is working through his people I want us to remember this today that the Lord has invited us to partner with him to accomplish the plans and purposes of heaven on earth remember the kingdom of God is is not the final destination it is the launching pad for our mission and our ministry in this world and God wants to, us to extend the influence of His kingdom into this world that He loves so much. Can we receive that today? Amen. Has the word made you feel a little bit unsettled this morning? Shaking you a bit out of your comfort zones? Well, that's good then. <laughs> because I really believe that the Lord is preparing us and equipping us to launch this church to be the salt and the light in this world. Amen? Amen? So let's go out. Let's be the salt. Let's be the light in the world that is, is crying out and, and looking for, for a Savior, that is looking for solutions, that is looking for hope.